0: This is Paul Nobles, and I am here with E to Perform Coach Sarah Willen, and she is going to be the new guest host for Nose Torque with Paul and Sarah, and so <laughs> we're we're switching things up a bit. Um, so today we are going to talk about uh, programming. You know, our Saturdays are really around programming and training doesn't mean that we, you know, won't necessarily answer a fat loss question because we actually have, um, if you're not familiar with the, the Forum podcast, mostly, you know, it's kind of interesting because we get a lot of feedback whenever we post a podcast and people are like, Oh my God, get to the point, you know, because everyone wants to solve like fat loss in like five minutes. And what, what, what these podcasts are they're actually for members you know the fact that you might be a member and might might be listening is awesome but we really do it so you know members can listen to it and and members find it quite helpful but if like you're looking for something like really super specific you know it really is kind of more you know entertainment rather than info so kind of keep that in mind as you're listening and maybe it fits your needs maybe it doesn't but you know most people that are new to Eat Perform as an example listen to the podcast and think you know wow this is super super helpful now I will say if you are looking to kind of audition Eat to Perform and listen to what we're talking about we did just release and eat perform fat loss course and that is uh, well. it's been in the app store for about a week and then uh, we actually just released the Android version uh, yesterday so it's in both uh, the the app store in iTunes and also Google Play and what it does is kinda of walks you through eat and form but it also kinda of, you know if you know will we will post this podcast as an example in there and then we have kind of relevant articles that are popular for most folks and so Sarah trains uh, doing Olympic lifts most of the time and there's a lot of folks that are very interested in taking up Olympic lifting and so we want to talk a little bit about why you know that might make some sense and then a little bit about like some of the changes that you could make you know as you're trying to both get better at olympic lifts but also you know see results in the mirror so um, not going to be a five minute conversation that's going to immediately say, this is going to change your life and you'll be ripped tomorrow. But it is something that I think is going to be interesting to people as we really talk about what real results look like for a lifetime. Right. Um, so I, before we get into that, I wanted to talk a little bit cause I, I, I some, you know, some people hate these. If, if you hate these fast forward, like five minutes, but, um, <laughs> So last year, when I was at the Granite Games, um, we were getting ready for the last event. And the last event had box jump burpees. And if you're not familiar with one of these bigger competitions, basically there's an athlete's area where you can go to warm up and one thing really cool about like the Granite Games and Palooza and stuff like this is that regular normal folks like me um, are actually competing alongside very well-known CrossFit Games athletes and so I was looking for a box to practice my box junk burpees and just to kind of get my heart rate going and get ready for the event and I couldn't find a box and the only free box was free right in front of Brooke Ince and Annie Thorstarter. Now, if you don't know who Brooke Ince and Annie Thorstarter are, you know, in the CrossFit world, they're pretty big deals, you know? (laughs) And so, so Annie and Brooke are talking to each other and I'm just kind of waiting patiently for them to kind of, you know, stop their, conversation um, because I don't want to be rude and if they're using the box you know I I don't want to like just like barge in right they're literally hovering over this box so they see that I'm waiting and then they kinda look at me and if you don't know these two individuals I can tell you if you've encountered them I doubt you've had a bad experience they are two of the nicest people in real life That you will ever meet. I don't know either of them very well. But in every interaction that I've ever had with them casually. They always have a smile on their face. They're always going the extra mile. And you know when you go to these competitions. What you'll often see is that a lot of the athletes that are bigger names that are competing. You know they're often you know away from the event. They're away from the area. Annie and Brooke, you know, in the opposite, sort of get what they're there to do. You know, and they mix with the crowd and they're walking around and they're talking to people and taking pictures and stuff like this. So now here's me, right, hovering over this box, waiting for them, waiting for an interruption in their conversation. And... They both look at me at the same time and smile, like, "Hey, buddy, I'm guessing that you want an autograph or picture, you know." And I look at both of them and go, "Hey, do you guys mind if I take this box?" <laughs> you know, and it, it really is kind of funny because if you've not been to one of these events, um, you know, it is easy to get caught up in in in. in you know, kind of these celebrity type folks, but you know, you got a job to do, right? You're preparing for that event, so you're not necessarily always thinking. So when I said they they of course said, Yes, you're feel free to use this box. Um, and then I jokingly said, Would you guys mind looking the other way? Because this is gonna be very emasculating for me. <laughs> um i mean just imagine like two of the fittest women on the planet like watching you do some weak ass box jump burpees (laughs) and i mean there still is an element of i'm a man you know (laughs) and and i don't want to look bad in front of women um so that probably is a good transition to what we're going to talk about and and i think sarah's going to be a great you know example for what you know the topic of the day is because what we'll often hear when we're talking to clients that are either members or they're in you know group coaching maybe trying to get a little bit better as it relates to um, their training we actually do each uh, form Coach Brad Dieter um, Dr. Brad Dieter and I wrote a book on programming that just came out today it is april 2nd and so we're actually intro pricing that for this weekend by the time you hear this podcast though it might not be intro priced so if you do hear it and you go to the eForm Forum site you will likely see some um some deal that you won't see two weeks from now um, <laughs> so when we talk about training and we, you know, Sarah's got on her weightlifting shirt. Um, so let's start there. Okay. Um, most people call it Ollie lifts or Oli lifts or whatever. I want to know what you call it.
1: Uh, I try to stay away from Term Ollie, uh, I feel like because it's and nothing against CrossFit at all. It's a kind of a CrossFit term, um, but most people I will call it Olympic lifting. It's, I do Olympic lifting.
0: See, because it's Colin more. Burns would call it weightlifting,
1: right? Well, when you, well, to most people, when you say weightlifting, they think bodybuilding. Actually, from what I found, you know, when I talk about it to people who aren't in the community, you say weightlifting, they think of you standing in the mirror doing. Bicep curls, right, and things like
0: that. But but what I'm what I'm going to sort of so if you don't know, um, and I you know I didn't really I haven't really followed it much, but but you know I went um, I was part of a uh, live seminar with Colin Burns. I was kind of one of the the people sort of behind the scenes, so I got to interact. Colin was actually my driver. But if you're not familiar with Colin, he's he's one of the best you know, weightlifters um, on the American scene. And uh, what I didn't know was all the levels of conversation and how, you know, these guys describe what they do. And so if Sarah's training at a gym... That is mostly doing what a lot of people call Olympic lifts, you know, um, they call it weightlifting, right? And so, um, and there's some other things that are also funny as it relates to kind of the CrossFit community and the weightlifting community. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So. Give me an example of what a basic setup is because my understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, oftentimes you will start off working with skill work, you know, and you're doing some level of of warm-up, but most people don't realize that if you're training something like the deadlift or the squat that you can work off of a lower percentage and typically that will translate very well for your deadlift or squat. This is not the case in my understanding as it relates to snatch and deadlift. Is that true or untrue?
1: Uh, actually, so I'm on a, I'll use my current cycle right now. I'm on a 12 week cycle and for competition prep and, um, I work at about between 70 and 80, maybe 85% the entire time. I don't get upwards of 90 um, until like the last two or
0: three weeks. Right. But see that. So, okay. So I'll just stop you right there. So yesterday I was doing deadlifts at 50, 60, and 70, right? 50 is really considered skill work in the weightlifting community, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and you can actually see a lot of progress with the squat and deadlift at that percentage. But to train your snatch and clean and jerk, you actually have to be like Sarah's saying above 70, you know, even up to, to 90 and, and above. So I think that that's sort of interesting for people to hear. Um, in terms of you know differences in the lifts, What would you say to people training your snatch compared to clean and jerk? Because typically you would train the weakest lift first, right? And then move to clean and jerk. Or you would primarily train one lift one day and then another lift another day. Is that correct? Uh,
1: Yeah, mostly. You'll alternate days. Um, I will do both in a day Um, if I'm not doing a lot of technique work. Um, but usually at the start of a program you're going lighter and you're doing a lot of technique work because it will translate better later. Um but the biggest thing is breaking down the movement. So you're working at lighter weights, mostly initially at the beginning. Um and your whole program can be like this, depending on what you're if you're really bad at snatches, your program's gonna be more focused towards complexes. So three position starts, you know, breaking down the movement, pausing. Um and then that will kind of translate later into the program as you start getting into the 70s, and then you're doing, you know, singles, 70, 80, 90, and then it kind of goes on from there. And
0: that would be considered skill work.
1: Yes, because yeah. it's all mostly skill.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that that's a a a thing that some people respond to really well, you know, and, you know, it, it's it, it if you were comparing it to something like, um, you know, powerlifting as an example, maybe like some level of box squatting makes sense in certain instances. If you were comparing it to uh, CrossFit, you know, you probably want to be working on double unders outside of a wod rather than you know trying to figure them out while you're in a in a you know workout of the day. So, so that's just trying to give some some basic idea in terms of running, you know. A good example might be kind of working on the pose method, you know, where you're trying to focus, where you kind of lean forward a bit. So just trying to give you guys a little perspective if you're not familiar with with weightlifting or Olympic lifting. Um, So what day do you train your squat clean?
1: Um, I'm on five days. I will clean. And that's funny that you say squat clean.
0: <laughs> See, I, get, I, <laughs> I got you there.
1: It's either power or a full, so it's the clean. Um, <laughs> but um, I probably I train it four out of five days a week.
0: So when, so basically, the seminar that I went to, okay. Um, we would all work with like these high level athletes, one of which was, was Colin Burns. Um, I wish I could remember Thomas's last name, but he was probably the best trainer I've ever been around in terms of, you know, explaining concepts related to Olympic lifting. But uh, so every day we would get in the bus and there was kind of eight of us that were, you know sort of behind the scenes folks. And we would get in this van, and Colin was the driver. And if you don't know Colin, Colin basically sort of has the disposition of the grumpy cat, but he's actually really funny, you know. Um, and, I mean, he could be a reality TV show, and it would be very popular. Um, he would be a better reality TV show. Gosh, I can't. Um, Blake Sumner? Blake Sumner? I believe this is his name um but he's a, a power lifter that 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 raw squats like 1100 and those two guys together are comedy gold right so every day i would get in the van and i would say hey colin are today we working on the squat clean and it was just kind of our way of you know kind of me making fun because it's not called the squat clean only in the crossfit world do they call it the squat clean? It's basically like Sarah said, it's a full clean or a power clean. And um, I think it's sort of interesting as it relates to CrossFit competitions that they focus on a squat clean. And it seems to be one of these things that CrossFit kind of digs in on. You know, this is the way we're going to do it. This is the way we're going to call it. But that's a very hard thing to judge right um and uh you know whether or not someone has gotten to full depth in that movement and you saw it at regionals last year um i can't remember if it was um with a clean or whether it was uh an overhead squat but there was a lot of no reps happening and uh the you know they were very controversial and they don't need to be right um the reason why you would do a full clean is because you can lift more doing a full clean if you can lift more you know power cleaning god bless you you know what i mean um there is no reason to have the differentiator and in fact if somebody can power clean 800 pounds in the olympics it counts as a lift, right? And so if it counts as a lift in that sport, you know, it should probably translate to the other sports that are using it. That's just my opinion, you know. But I think the more I, consistent I mean, you can be there. Enough, competition
1: doesn't matter. You can power everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. As long as you're locked, yeah it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Like, it, so it matter. so what it, what are the standards there? Because I you know, I have to say I, I don't totally know. I think it's feet stable. Locked.
1: And locked. Like, any movement, like you can't, you can't. No press, no bend at the elbows. You have to be locked. Um, you have to stick it. That's really the biggest thing. Your feet have, you have to be stable and locked with no motion, and no bend in the elbows, no give in the shoulders. You have to. Be
0: now, can you? It, it, okay, so that's on the final. But can you press? No. Um, okay. Right. Right.
1: No press. No wrap.
0: Got, gotcha. Okay. Like, a lot of people
1: that, to, if you've never been to one competition it's like it's like weightlifting at a golf tournament
0: it's quiet like there's no music oh yeah playing. yeah <laughs> no i've been i've i've been to i've been to one um i mean it, in contrast to like a powerlifting competition where every lifter is walking up to intro music and doing their raps and you know all this other type of stuff olympic lifting it you're right it's like a golf competition and it, it's <laughs>
1: Quiet and it's terrifying. The only thing you have is the buzzer that goes off when it
0: tells you you have to
1: pick
0: the bar up off the floor. Yeah, yeah. The um and 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 there should be more of them, you know. Um and and I think that that's kind of interesting that there there isn't. So, so we basically kind of run through how like the most of what your initial setup would be like, and if you want to look at, you know, you can Google. uh, Olympic lifting training or, you know, um, what, 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 you know, Olympic lifting program, what would they Google?
1: Um, I would probably, Olympic lifting programming, you know, a bunch of stuff's going to populate. Yeah. Um, Olympic
0: lifting complexes too would be another good one.
1: hmm Like, Catalyst, uh, Catalyst Athletics has a whole bunch. And then of course there's like Outlaw and a, a, a few of the other guys. And a lot of the, a lot of the USA members, like John North has his own programming, um, a lot of them do. There's a ton of it out there
0: right now. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that that's helpful for people. But I think especially if you're coming from like a CrossFit background, the thing that Sarah and I want you to sort of understand is that, you know, the way that you're going to train, you know, if you're, if you're considering joining Barbell Club, do it because it will translate to some uh, better wads over time. You know, virtually every single person that has gone through kind of the Olympic lifting barbell classes that I've seen have benefited from that. Um, can, I on, yeah. can I
1: touch on something about that? So a lot of people will, will try to do like get better at the Olympic stuff and get still hit the endurance really hard. It is beneficial for you and like a lot of the games athletes do this where part of the year they're not doing Metcons every day. Right. They're just doing strength training, and you kind of have to make a choice sometimes. If you want to get better at primarily lifting heavier, you're going to have to, back, the are going to, have to take a back seat. What you'll find is if you're trying to do both, you're wearing yourself out. The Olympic lifting is super – if you're doing like an actual program, like an 8, 12, 13-week program, it's super taxing on your CNS. The more endurance and stuff that you add on top of that, is, you're going to lose a lot of strength gains. So – you kinda have to pick sometimes. You know. Yeah, I and get stronger. And I, what, get faster.
0: I, I think I think I think it sort of depends on the programming that that these athletes are using. But yeah. typically coming out of something like the CrossFit Games, or if they didn't make the CrossFit games and then you know, they were a regional's competitor, they'll start focusing on a little bit more strength at that point. I will say, uh you know, the crossfit programming has evolved for crossfit games athletes and they still do keep some level of metabolic conditioning in they don't let the bucket go to zero right
1: oh yeah no of course
0: yeah but 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 in general what you're saying is true the other thing that's that's interesting to people that that aren't very familiar with it especially from the eat form side of things is that they will gain weight even The, you know, one of the best conversations I ever had with a CrossFit Games person was with Sam Briggs where Sam is probably the best at this. Um, She leaves the CrossFit Games and, you know, she immediately starts to gain 10 to 15 pounds so she can get stronger and that can translate to her CrossFit side of things. But uh, the closer you try to stay... You know, now you don't want to get too crazy and gain 30, 40 pounds. You know, certainly you'll get stronger, but that will kill your Metcon. But, you know, as they start to kind of keep metabolic conditioning in the bucket, move to Olympic lifting, you know. But, so so let's get back to... Um, but then, then, of course, Sam will, you know, kind of taper down getting closer to competition. So now let's talk about regular folks right and how you might be able to use olympic lifting but also kind of see results in the mirror right so you're doing a lot of skill work and it's not going to be super super heavy initially and even if you're heavy as an example your snatch might only be 85 pounds but your squat might be 185 pounds right so metabolically which one is more efficient which one is going to be the best bang for your buck and we'll make the argument both ways but what's your thoughts on on that in general
1: me personally um when i just went through my last uh performance focused fat loss cycle i dropped my weights way down (laughs) I did kind of stay a little bit heavier on my compound lifts, um, like the deadlift and my squat, um, but probably no more than 75, 80%. But I was doing a lot of technical Olympic work, so 50, 60% low weight, high reps. And then I was, instead of focusing really on doing what I do now and I'm drilling into my lifts and I'm doing them and in increasing weights, I replaced a lot of that with accessory work. Uh, and I
0: started doing a lot more hypertrophy and and skill work around my lifts. So what think, she saying, so for people that aren't familiar with performance focused fat loss cycles, what we're really talking about is, is a deficit cycle um, that we teach clients so they can see sustainable results. And what we do at that point is we really teach them to focus on volume rather than, you know, maximum capacity, you know, and. You mentioned something that's very interesting to me. Um, you mentioned deadlifts in that instance. In your current training cycle going for your uh, meet, do you have any deadlifts in it?
1: Yes, clean and snatch grip deadlifts. Essentially the first pull. Okay, Right. gotcha. But it's, it's usually 120-130% of your one rep max, so you're getting used to that pulling heavy weight off the floor
0: gotcha so so but like a, a conventional deadlift does not translate well to olympic lifting so typically it's not going to be in the programming right squats however would be in the programming right um so my thought process is and 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 you can still fit my thought process in afterwards right but my thought process for most people is that most people especially that are trying to kind of normalize their way of eating and they're trying to um reestablish their metabolism and stuff like this their best bang for buck typically is going to be the lifts that they do the heaviest which is like squats and deadlifts so i see a lot of people working on a 65 pound snatch rather than working on a deadlift that's 225 pounds metabolically the payoff for the deadlift and squat is better right so when we look at you know a squat which does translate very well you know um especially if we're talking about a high bar you know kind of astograss, to grass you know big ankle flexibility that kind of thing that will typically translate well to olympic lifts but you know i see a lot of people whose goals are fat loss and then they're kind of working on skill work with 55 pounds and i'm like i think you're m- missing the point a little bit you know what i mean Wh- which what would be your argument against that
1: <clears throat> you, still to, you still have to do both um I won't, I won't train it the same way I'll train it now. Like, now I probably will work between 80 85%, like, every day. Um, when I'm doing uh, kind of a cut or a fat loss cycle, um, I'll probably stay closer to 70 75%, which is still pretty – depending on what your, your, you know, lifts are, it's still pretty heavy. And sometimes I'll just go by feel of the day whenever I'm in those cycles. So I'll just go up to a set where I feel like I can do five sets of five fairly heavy. And rep them out Um, and I kind of utilize that when I'm in a a fat loss cycle as opposed to working up straight off percentages it seems to help me more so I'm still going heavy I'm still taxing myself um, but I'm not necessarily working up to 90% of my one rep max and trying to rep that out
0: so now I will 100% admit something to you guys and I'll admit it to you this way Um, so I'm at this seminar and I'm talking to Sean Waxman. And if you don't know Waxman's gym, Sean did like the the best presentation on the history of Olympic weightlifting and when the US was dominant in weightlifting and how performance-enhancing drugs came into the sport and all this other really interesting stuff. But so I was working with Sean and he was having me set up for my clean and he's like yeah don't do that you know and um you know he, he was he was forceful but he was he was nice about it and as we went through various things you know i was doing a hang snatch or a hang clean um and and a number of things and he just pulled me to the side and goes dude i just don't think this is your jam <laughs> And I mean, you're sitting there talking to a guy who trains like our Olympians and he's saying, you know, maybe you'd be better off deadlifting and squatting. And so, uh, so my, you know, I I will, I will fully admit that, uh, you know, overhead squatting, you know, all this, this type of stuff doesn't set up well for my 47 year old body. Um, but that's, that's not necessarily, you know, I'm not necessarily a, against it, but what I think happens for a lot of people is they get, first of all, let, let's all admit something without, you know, prejudice, right? Lifting heavy weight is hard and it's scary, right? So if you have the option to lift 55 pounds, right? And work on skill work, You can do that all day long and you're like oh wow (coughs) this is way less scary you know to progress and get better you have to push it you know and you have to build muscle along the way right and that part is the scary part you know and so that's where i think the allure is for a lot of people because they like lifting lightweight often right for you though you know i know the the push is to consistently lift higher you know and kind of push that top end you know and my point being that you can get drug into working on skill work a lot Without working on the accessories part. So that's what we're going to talk about as it relates to your fat loss goals. Right? We talk about this a lot, you know, in this class where when we're talking about building lean mass, okay, asking your body to actually build new blood vessels and capillaries and, and, and new tissue, you have to do hard stuff you have to push that top end, and you don't really, I mean, you can do it right on the, the skill work side of things. And certainly that muscle pump that you can get at times, you can certainly get that doing skill work, but that typically takes, you want to have, you want to have kind of like the the three, right? You want to have some skill work, you want to have some muscle pump and you want to have some maximal And all three probably need to be part of your programming at different times. And you kind of wave that in and out. But if you're looking for fat loss, you're going to want to keep the muscle. And one of the biggest ways to do that is the accessory work, right? So deadlifts probably is going to be something if you're kind of doing a hybrid form of training. But they're really not necessary unless, you know, like Sarah's saying, you're doing snatch grip um any thoughts on what i'm saying there because you know certainly to lift more weight being more muscular is part of the equation so when we talk about hypertrophy maybe some people aren't familiar with that word but we're basically talking about building muscle right give me some thoughts on that and kind of your perspective on
1: that comes to like fat loss, even in general, just training in general. Um, working on a lot of those accessory muscles for your main lifts is what's going to help take you to the next level. And building up that tissue and getting stronger, it's going to make you more muscular. You're going to burn more fat, and then your overhead position is going to be better. Your squats are going to be stronger. Everything that you do, your pull position, you're going to be able to pull more. You'll be able to lift more. In general, I, honestly, it, it benefits you in every way possible. And I don't think it's something that necessarily needs to be kept during fat loss cycles. It's something you need to keep all of the time. You need to be continually building up your muscles with isolation work um, just to support all of your main lifts. It translates across the board.
0: Yeah, I think th- I think there's another really important part to this. You know, some people are built, you know, I mean, there's, there's reasons why there's, you know... Um, a lot of Asian countries are, are very good at Olympic lifting. Certainly, like um, Eastern European countries, typically are very good. You know, you could argue, <laughs> you know, that they're all, you know, really focus on performance of focus, performance enhancing drugs. But there has been a lot of look at their levers, right? And so you have to be conscious of if your levers sort of set up well for this sport but the other thing that I think needs to be factored in when we look at flexibility sometimes we're talking about weakness in fact a lot of the time we're talking about weakness so let me give you an example of what I mean so you're just focusing on power cleans and you're like man my power clean is so much stronger than when I do a full clean does that mean that you shouldn't do a full clean? Or maybe you don't have the mobility right now to do a full clean. What's going to allow you to do a full clean? Well, Like Sarah's saying, if you never incorporate a full clean into the mix, that might be the thing that is going to stop you from getting that top level strength. So if you never you know, really focus on your quads or you never really focus on Of hip work and hip speed and stuff like that, you know, you're really missing a big part of the equation. But I think more than anything, when you look at inflexible people when they first start exercising and they become more flexible, a big reason that they become more flexible is not necessarily that they just woke up muscles but they strengthened a lot of those accessory muscles. Any thoughts on that?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, like a lot of the times um, people will try to focus on their main muscle groups and then they are be getting like all these glutes, for example. You get caught coming out of the pocket and you come halfway up and you just can't get all the way up. Usually it's because you have glute weakness and a lot of people don't isolate those muscles and so you're not driving through and pulling out. Um, and the more that you start to train, um, those accessory muscles and work on those little things, the more your main muscle groups will become a lot stronger and your, your movements will start to become a lot better. Um, and that's the same, that's the same with pain in the body though. Um, I'm a, I'm a licensed massage therapist as well. Nine times out of 10, when something hurts, it's because the muscles around that aren't weak enough and that one muscle is overcompensating.
0: Right. They so are weak. Moving- they they're they're weak, the muscles are yeah. weak Yeah. The,
1: the, the stabilizing muscles around the major muscle groups are weak, therefore it's causing pain in the body because that one muscle is having to overcompensate and that's where most injuries come from and that's where most failed lifts come from is the fact that the stabilizing muscles around haven't been built up because the, the person's been focusing too much on the major muscle groups and then they can't progress in their lifts and they're getting injured and I mean, it, it translates across the board for sure Building up, you know, doing isolation work and building up your lats and building up the motor muscles of your rotator cuff is going to help translate into your pulls. It's going to help translate into your overhead position. The same thing with your ankles, calves, all of that. The more that you focus on those areas, making them more mobile and making them stronger, the better your main compound lifts and everything You're going to start to progress. And
0: the more metabolically favorable that will be, right? Think about why metabolism gets better it gets better as you're asking your body to do more strenuous stuff you know or Uh or create new tissue or you know firing more muscles yeah one of the biggest things that that you know when you think of exercise and why exercise is so beneficial a lot of people you know are caught up in the whole earning calories right for exercise but i would argue that breaking down tissue through resistance training is actually as beneficial if not more for almost everyone and certainly more beneficial as it relates to um when you're in a performance focused fat loss cycle because you know if you lose 10 pounds as an example you want the good majority of that to be fat, right? If not all, and if you're really focusing on, you know, more cardio type movements, you're really not asking your body to turn over protein and keep the muscle, so you'll you'll typically atrophy a little bit more in that scenario. Um, so Sherry's asking. Came in late, but I do CrossFit. Obviously not an overachiever. She's 62. But could this be why I struggle with PFFL or does this have nothing to do with it? Um. So when we talk about why someone struggles with PFFL, it would be easy to get caught up in, you know, this whole idea, right? That, you know, maybe because I can't do a full clean and because, you know, it's not metabolically demanding, Performance-focused fat loss isn't working for me. I would argue that it's probably five percent of the equation for a lot of people, especially for someone who's sixty-two. I mean, let's think about the limitations of a, of a sixty-two-year-old person, right? Certainly, flexibility is going to be one. Certainly, work capacity—you know—the ability to do, you know—is going to be compromised. I know I'm I'm forty-seven and I'm already feeling my work capacity being compromised. So you you have to sort of you know factor that in it also depends on kind of your height weight ratio right so if you're five feet tall you know your metabolic math just isn't as good as a female that's 510 right Um, and could potentially hold on to a little bit more uh, at that point so what we're probably talking about sherry is some level of calorie balance Where we could get some level of movement and playing with that number and sort of figuring out, you know, my guess is that Sherry's pretty weight stable along the way. What we need to sort of figure out is what's the number that kind of makes things move. So, and then what are the problems that are causing that? You know, one of the things that is is fairly commonly known is that if you have a history of dieting, your body will kind of adjust to that fairly quickly, right? So, what we're really talking about is homeostasis and where the body wants to be, because your body wants to be in balance and in a stress-free environment the good majority of the time. Dieting and exercise is stress, you know, so what you want to do is you want to diet appropriately or exercise appropriately so the stress involved isn't so extreme. So if you've been dieting since you were 12 years old and now you're 62, right? We've put the body through a bunch of cycles and it's still struggling to find homeostasis. And so when we start to you know, go into a deficit cycle, it might adjust real quickly <coughs> to the lower number. And so from that perspective, We may have to, one, go, okay, what's the end goal here, right? You know, I mean, if we're not seeing movement and we keep going lower and lower and lower and lower, is that the ultimate health equation? Or do we, you know, try and kind of attack it from other sides of things where we're doing a little bit more water aerobics or some some more biking or kind of low intensity stuff, especially for aging athletes. But when we talk about somebody that, you know, is five feet tall, you know, um, 62 years old, you know, my personal opinion is I would like that person to not diet too aggressively, um, but I would like to see some results, you know. Um, And so, you know, At some point, once we've sort of stabilized things for a while, you know, currently being in a performance-focused fat loss cycle, I'm having a lot of success. And people are like, wow, man, you know, what are your numbers? It's like, it ain't the numbers. You know, it's really all the work that I did over the course of the last year that's making this easier. That's what we're talking about here. That's every podcast every single thing we're talking about is making sure that your metabolic health is thriving and we're continuing working on a path of you working your body the way that you do so then when we add a level of interference like exercise or you know a deficit cycle we actually see a result you know and so the temptation is for a 62-year-old female to kind of just starve themselves as much as possible just so they can see any result at all well what we would suggest is kind of the least amount of interference so we don't we aren't doing continued harm because at some point we're having a discussion about you know longevity of life you know um and and really when you look at aging athletes, you know, what's best for them, you know, going through these dramatic cycles or kind of staying mostly normal, but certainly some level of, of, you know, calorie balance is, is the answer. You know, the question is, is where is the calorie balance and, you know, seeing positive result. So, um any thoughts before we kind of shut this down Sarah because I don't know that I mean we covered olympic li- I mean I don't think it's fair to say that we totally nailed olympic lifting but I do see a lot of people that are really interested in olympic lifting and I would I would I would challenge those people to still keep that accessory stuff the, they they're going to get more results as it relates to fat loss progress, stuff like that, if they focus on keeping muscle. And that happens on the accessory side of things. That does not happen You know, when you're working at 90% for a 65-pound snatch. That's my only argument there. I love when people want to do Olympic lifting. I think the squat, as an example is one of the best movements and as an accessory you know doing things like lunges i mean give me an example of some of the accessories that you do from a from a muscle building standpoint
1: um rdls weighted lunges
0: rdls being uh, romanian deadlifts roads. yeah
1: so many rows <laughs> yeah so a lot of back work um like glute ham raises um glute activation work with banded side steps glute bridges um and um, let's see, like, oh, just like a lot of, like, scap activation, um, presses, um, shrugs, just trying to build up all those muscles so, so you're keeping your, the weight up on your bar, um, calf raises, um, pulls. So
0: next week, next week, we're going to, we're going to dive a little bit more into that weak muscle conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and especially as it relates to pain and stuff like this, Right. Um, but what's funny about what Sarah's saying is when you look at me and you go, well, why isn't he a gifted squatter or why, you know, can't he do full cleans or things of this nature? Well, I do have underdeveloped glutes, right? My quads would not blow you away, you know? And so while I might not ever get to the point of being a gifted, you know, clean and jerker, you know, or snatcher or overhead squatter. The answer to being better at all of those things is probably not just, you know, overhead squatting or not just clean and jerking, right? It's really working on what is the weakness, you know, and, and really kind of focusing on Strengthening those accessory and and really ex- strengthening some of the bigger muscles, you know I'm fairly certain that if my glutes were bigger, you know, that would be Advantageous as it relates to you know a number of lifts
1: mm-hmm. yep. and The same with core work core work is huge a lot of people's issues when it comes to squats and cleans and snatches is the fact that they crumpled the core because they're not holding that or they can't hold it um, yeah. and It's not so much that the weights too heavy anything you just have that core weakness. So if you catch a clean, you're folding forward and not keeping that core activating, that's probably a core weakness and it's something you need to like look into, and make sure you're making that accessory work a big part of your, your regimen.
0: Gotcha. You know, I think the other temptation, um especially as you're kind of just coming into any type of weightlifting, whether it be Olympic weightlifting or whether it be powerlifting or something like that. Is to really kind of do whatever you can to lift the, the weight but I can tell you right now you know as someone that has a pretty good deadlift you know I'm really working on breaking down my you know deadlift to where I'm resetting a lot more I'm really focused on you know that kind of thing and so I'll, I'll be talking a little bit more about that in the upcoming weeks as well because I've been seeing some interesting progress by actually bringing the weight down and and maybe some of the adjustments that i'm making along the way so i appreciate you being here sarah and this is going to be fun because i think it's going to be a great way i think there's a lot of women that would like you to talk more so i will try to stay out of the way as much as i can because most women are like hey
1: let the ladies talk
0: more and so we'll have to we'll have to make sure that that happens so
1: We'll work
0: on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're like, hey, dude, shut up. Uh, all right.
1: Talk to you guys later. Have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you, everybody.